When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. This is the Court Today replay on C103. As we welcome you along to the programme, John Paul, standing by to take your calls at 0818103103 and your texts and WhatsApps. Welcome to 0862103103. And as we've been hearing on the news this morning, Neffet has approved the easing of almost all of the COVID-19 restrictions with the Cabinet Minister's meeting later today to agree a timeline. To update us on this, our political correspondent, Sean Defoe. Good morning to you, Sean. Morning. And you're you're very welcome to the programme. Do we know were the Cabinet expecting such a positive letter from Neffet? Uh, some of them were and some of them weren't. So it seems there were a few ministers who were clued in on this earlier on in the week, notably Stephen Donnelly, obviously, who had been given the, the, the tip from Tony Hooligan that this was the direction of travel and then increasingly some of the more senior ministers, so the, the likes of the other anchor, Michael Martin, had a good idea of what the direction of travel would be. Others, though, uh, who maybe weren't on in the health loop, uh, were surprised last night by just, I suppose, the, the tone of it and how... Um, one-sided, if you like, it was that never went this far and said, yep, go ahead, open up and decide the timeline yourselves. I think they were they were expecting restrictions to be eased, but perhaps on a more cautious timeline or, or with more caveats thrown in. So uh, definitely an element of surprise on that aspect of it, at least. But this isn't Neffet saying the pandemic is over, Sean. No, absolutely not. And I don't think anyone in government is, is saying that. But they are saying that this phase of the pandemic is over. So the reason, and there'll be a lot of people that have had people ask me as well over the last 12 hours, like, God, does this not seem a little bit fast? And we've opened up fast in the past and sent it a disaster. And I suppose the reasoning behind Neffet's thinking at the minute is twofold. One, the 2.6 to 2.7 million boosters have been given over the last couple of months, which gives a lot of immunity. A lot of the people who aren't eligible for a booster or didn't get it actually did get COVID. So there's a lot of people who have the immunity from having had the virus. And we know that this particular Omicron wave is less severe than previous ones. And even at its worst, when they were estimating half a million cases a week, it didn't overwhelm the health system. So the big fear, obviously, to allow this has been overwhelming the health system, ICUs and wards would be completely overrun and they weren't even though that they were uh, stretched quite a bit and now that we're on the downswing of that and uh, Neffet is saying there's a lot of immunity out there to this particular wave that we have we can't predict or legislate for future waves future variants that may come down the line and in all likelihood there may well be one but we should make hay while the sun shines because for now we have significant immunity uh, to this particular wave. Okay and trying now to get life to return to some kind of normality and I suppose the big one uh, is the hospitality sector. How soon do you think the hospitality sector will be allowed to return to normal opening hours? 
uh, potentially as early as tomorrow is, is what I'm hearing. The ministers aren't in any real mood to hang around on this. They don't really see a justification for hanging around. The only thing that's really been talked about is giving um, hospitality businesses enough time to roster staff and to get in extra supplies if that's what they need to do. But uh, speaking to people in the hospitality sector myself over the last while, they said, well, a lot of us are ready, are, are good to go, allow us to open up. And yes, there will be some businesses who maybe can't, but they can catch up then as soon as possible, rather than, say, delaying to Monday, which is the other thing ministers were talking about last night, perhaps use the weekend to get everything sorted and then go Monday. But hospitality wanted very quickly. And I think there's a bit of an acceptance as well at Cabinet that now that the cat is out of the bag, so to speak, and everyone knows that Neffet doesn't think there's a health rationale for the restrictions anymore, that a lot of these places are going to stay open anyway over the weekend, regardless of what the government says. So they may as well go ahead and, and at least allow them to do it legally. And in fairness, hospitality, they make their money at the, on the weekend. It's, you know, it would be a shame for them to lose the weekend. Well, absolutely. And they've lost so much, particularly in December. December being the busiest month that usually sees them through January and February and pretty much all of that was gone. So I think that that push to kind of get them in this weekend and get that little bit of revenue to get everyone back on their feet uh, will certainly be one ministers will strongly consider. So yeah, as soon, as soon as I suppose midnight tonight, those restrictions could be gone. So when we're talking about the lifting of restrictions for the hospitality sector, is that including nightclubs? Yes. It is. Now, the decision before Cabinet, because the Leffitt letter didn't include timelines for anything, it left it entirely up to ministers. So it it is on the table for ministers, if they wish, to say nightclubs maybe hold off a week or hold off two weeks. But I I don't think they will. My sense of it from talking to people in the last 12 hours is that nightclubs will reopen at the same time as or the rest of hospitality gets back to its normal hours because there is nothing in the Leffitt letter that says they can't go ahead. There's no like justifiable reason in, in the letter, as far as I understand it, to say wait a few more weeks. So it is something that if they were being cautious, yes, they could do. And perhaps in the past we've seen them be cautious, but I don't get that same caution or sense from them this time around. Full capacity at sporting events? Sporting events, yes. Yeah, so that would be good for the likes of the, the National League games that are going to happen towards the end of this month. The, um, the Six Nations as well, the Rugby Ireland Ireland Wales there in February, that could be full capacity and that's for, for other things as well, not just sporting events but other live events, gigs and shows they can return to, to, to normal as well I'm sure there will be updated sectoral guidelines for, you know, general things like keeping hand sanitizer in these places and, and uh, where possible um, you know, allowing for ventilation and stuff like that, but the likes of the social distancing rules and the rules around COVID passes as well, they're, they're all going to be yeah, now, t- talking about the COVID passes, will we no longer need our COVID pass going into a restaurant or a bar? No, we won't. Uh, that, that's going to be done away with. Again, Cabinet, if they wished, could delay that a while, could say, right, well, you're going to need it until the end of January or the end of February, and then, then we'll get rid of that entirely. That That is on the table for them to do so. Um, but the, the COVID pass is, is certainly on the way out. So the only place that you will need it is if you want to fly internationally. They, obviously, international rules are being kept and each country has their own rules regarding it. So as an EU block, EU is keeping the digital COVID cert, but you won't need it for the likes of bars and restaurants. Except. And then in, when you're inside in a bar and restaurant, the table service will, will be able to sit up at the bar and have a pint. You'll be able to sit at the bar, you'll be able to go to the bar, you'll be able to queue Not for that I sit at a bar very often now, Sean, just to, just to put it out there. But all of those well, rules around the bars will be gone. They'll, yes, they'll all be gone. And again, I'm sure sectoral guidance will, will come forward over the next 24 hours, but those kind of rules will be gone. It'll be like returning to a bar of old, which, uh, Jesus, it feels like an awful long time since we did that. It'll seem very strange indeed. It will seem very strange. And then a number of people asking about what's expected about returning to work at the office. 
Yeah, so Nevin's given the green light for the return to work, which is I suppose, one of those ones that depending on who you are, you'll either welcome or you'll hate. A lot of people, I think, are quite happy working from home and that's going to be a discussion that a lot of employers and employees are going to have as to whether you can continue to maybe do a few days at home, whether you can work from home entirely. But the actual mandate for and recommendation for everyone to work from home, that, that's going to be gotten rid of. I think that'll be sort of one of the measures that they take a little bit longer with, that's not going to happen overnight or, or next week, with the thinking being um, a lot of workplaces, their current setup is to cater for some people at home and some people in the office and not full capacity. And a lot of places will have to just think out, OK, how do we do this safely? Um, what Do we need to change where all the desks are? Do we need to sort out the canteen? Things like that. So I think there'll be a bit more of a lead-in time and some guidelines given for that as well. Uh, maybe end of February, start of March, but no fixed date has been decided on yet. OK, Mary B in West Cork. Uh, question for Sean. A- any news on social distancing? Is social distancing to end? Yeah, from my understanding, the, the kind of social distancing uh, rules are, are going to end and going to be relaxed. Now, there may be certain places that they'll be kept, but like the public transport, for example, is going to have slightly different rules where you still have to wear your mask and you have to wear your mask indoors as well. So I don't know 100% yet, but the, there will also be a social distancing mandate on those. But in general, that, that's one of the restrictions yeah, that, is, that is going to be gone, certainly for the likes of gigs and, and live events. And where will the wearing of masks remain? So wearing a mask is going to remain in shops and on public transport and potentially some other uh, public settings. But they're the main two that were mentioned in the Neffet letter. So the government, whether they extend that out to, to other places. But I think they're the main two that they're concerned about. Do you think they'll be wearing a mask for the pupils in schools? Yeah, probably, yes, yeah, actually, sorry, yeah. that, is the, that is the other one um, where, I suppose, to run, just to run through, the, it's probably easier to run through the things that actually are being kept. Yeah, so okay. The COVID, COVID pass for international travel is going to be kept, mask wearing going to be kept probably until some time towards uh, the summer. The test trace and isolate system is also being kept, so if you have symptoms, stay at home, get a test, if you are positive, isolate, all that kind of stuff is going to remain, and then there will be special guidance for schools that will be, at least in the short term, very similar to what's there now. So I haven't heard whether there's any recommendation on pods for schools or childcare yet. That's something we'll have to look out for today. Mask wearing in schools is going to be kept for certainly a little while at least. So there will be new and updated guidance from schools, I, I would think, from Monday. Um, so it, that's, that's caused a lot of controversy, I think, over the last while. A lot of people are not happy with with children wearing masks and, and people will know they're requesting well if there's no health rationale for a lot of these restrictions why this one mask seems to be one of the few areas that effort is saying no we need to keep these both in general society and in schools which is sort of ironic given that the very start of the pandemic they were something that never wasn't recommended uh, okay and then finally what the timeline for today uh sean the the the, the leaders meet first and then there's a full cabinet meeting or what's the timeline yeah, that's it. So the leaders, Eamon Ryan, Leo Varadkar, Michal Martin and possibly Stephen Donnelly as well, meeting around noon to lunchtime meeting to run through what they think of the restrictions and to kind of go through their own their own opinion on it. Then three o'clock, the cabinet meeting is due in government buildings. They'll make the final decision and sign off on all the timeline. And then we can expect that lovely six o'clock on a Friday evening announcement on, uh, from government buildings, Michal Martin coming down the steps and doing a press conference. Ah, but it's a, a very different one today. It's a good news one today, surely. Well, this is this, this, yeah. this. I mean, yeah, at least we know, you know, this might be the last Friday night of spending in government buildings and not in a bar. Okay. So, look, we can, <laughs> we can take that for a while at least. You can dream, Sean. You can dream. Listen, Sean, we leave it there. Thank you for that. And thanks for joining us. 
Thanks a bit. Good morning to you. That is our political correspondent, uh, Sean Defoe, on what is expected to be announced uh, today. Some of your comments already in on this. Somebody says, how long do you think this will all last? I'll still be very nervous. I think it is too soon. I think we are moving too fast and it simply will not last. And Anne says, good morning, Patricia. Too soon to reopening all of hospitality, especially nightclubs, as Sean has outlined. It's a big mistake to remove the COVID passes from hospitality. A lot of people feel reassured going into a restaurant or a coffee shop with their COVID pass and knowing that everybody else in there has had their COVID pass uh, checked. The World Health Organisation has said this pandemic is far from over. Mark my words, we'll be back to restrictions by Easter and that'll be due to the madness that will happen over the extended St. Patrick's weekend, the four days that people will have off and uh, Cheltenham and not convinced uh, that this is the right way to go. Your thoughts are welcomed. Are you with the government? Are you with Neffet on this, that we have to live with COVID? We've done so well. 2.7 million people are boosted. On top of that, the amount of people that were diagnosed with Omicron. There's a lot of people out there now have immunity. Is it time to get on with our lives? Or are you with some of those texters there that are saying, no, too soon. We should be easing back into this much slower. Some of your thoughts coming in. Not everybody that happy with Neffet and approving the easing of almost all of the COVID-19 restrictions with the Cabinet uh, Minister's meeting. They've got to agree the timeline. Neffet have said, away with you now you can get rid of the COVID restrictions it's up to you it's up to you the cabinet the government to decide on the uh, timeline Patricia will somebody pinch me please I think I've just woken up from a dream all jokes aside this announcement came out of the blue we are all now so conditioned into all of these rules and regulations we're actually going to find it difficult to get back to normal I'm thinking of all of the people who've passed away during this awful time says uh, Mary thank you for your text uh, Mary morning Patricia I've always stood up for and stood by Tony Houlihan all along followed all of his his advice and I've now this morning never felt so left down by him and by Neffet. All along vaccinated and unvaccinated weren't allowed to mix indoors. Now suddenly they are. How in God's name is that going to work? This Omicron variant is still out there it's still so contagious you practically need only to brush up against somebody who has it to get infected. What about vulnerable people? I really am disgusted to hear this news this morning thanking you Jim says Patricia what about the wearing of masks in an industrial factory setting it seems a big change in a few weeks with the highest number of cases ever to nearly being asked to go back to normal again but it looks like we'll just have to get on with living with COVID and hopefully no more lockdowns that is from Jim and well and I suppose in a factory setting it'll be up to individual factories I mean, the government will make the announcement and will lift the restrictions, but then it will be individual workplaces, I suppose, will put their own rules. And, you know, if they think that they want their workers to continue wearing masks, I imagine that's exactly what is going to happen. Pat Infomoy says, when the restrictions ease, will we be in a situation where companies are still short-staffed? I think we will. Following the restrictions, people will not put up with working long hours on low wages. So the likes of the hospitality sector and others may find it hard to get staff and they won't be able to blame COVID this time that is from Pat that's just a sample some of your calls and texts keep them coming
coming. You can text her WhatsApp 0862 103 103. Court today on C103. With Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale. Now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. For motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance, cmig.ie. You can see a lot of texts and comments coming in on the easing of all of the COVID-19 restrictions and I will get back to them but I want to move to a different topic because during a conversation on the council's housing waiting list, Cork City councillors heard that there has been an increase in housing refusals and it's causing difficulty and delays in the allocation of council houses to other people. Joining me, Fine Gael, Cork City Councillor Deirdre Ford. Good morning to you, Deirdre. Good morning to and you, Patricia, and your listeners. You're very welcome to the programme. Now, I'm a bit confused by this because houses are allocated, are they not, through the choice-based letting programme. So people apply for an area or a house. Why, yeah. are, why are so many of them turning down the offer? Well, this is the very disappointing question, if you like, when so much work has gone in to matching people to the houses that they bid on. And it also throws up the question, you know, why do they leave it so late to uh, say they want to reject it? Because presumably when they bid on a house, they know where the house is and they know what kind of a house it is. And they've done their homework. And it's soul-destroying, really, to have to go back to scratch for the next person on the list. Um, The housing officials are under tremendous pressure. And those people that are waiting to be allocated a house are nervously watching to see if that particular house is gone off the list. So, all in all, it's very unsatisfactory. And I think that we have to look at the reasons why they're doing so, why they're turning them down. Um, has there I'm, has there been any analysis done on reasons for a refusal? Well, we, I've just got a few stats actually today. Um, and we've called for an in-depth and a forensic analysis. But it's my understanding that 68% of those that refuse uh, are for the reasons that the house is not suitable, the area is unsuitable, and the third reason is no reason. So quite quite uh, understandably, that's very frustrating because, as you said, when people do choice-based listing, it's to give them the choice of the house that they think they would like. And then they're turning it down to say it's not suitable. And the sad part of this is they're doing it when they're allocated, which ties up the whole process and it leaves other people who would bite your hand off to get their For the house. same house, yeah. And like the the, yeah. the, the, the executives of the council are saying, you know, there's a vetting process that has to be gone through when somebody bids on a house and somebody says, I'd like to live in that house. And it's it's at this very final stage, almost when they're ready to hand the keys over, that somebody says, oh, I've changed my mind, I don't want it. Well, this is it, you see. And I think we're just going to have, like, obviously, the, at the moment, the situation is that if you refuse a house, you lose a year. But that doesn't seem to be a deterrent or put people off because if it did, you wouldn't get nearly a third of people who are allocated housing refusing them. So there has to be other reasons. Um, and I mean, we have an awful lot of people waiting for houses. So the pressure is on everybody. I mean, it's heartrending to hear the stories that I hear and I'm sure you hear yeah. every day of the week. So while I have every sympathy for people for the challenges they face, I think we have to be a little bit realistic as well. 
um, you know, as to what's available. And this will continue for quite some time. So we need to look at perhaps a, a further deterrence, like to remind people, don't bid if you have no interest, or at least pull out if you think halfway, or, you know, when you look at the area that you don't like it. Um, I was just looking at some stats um, uh, that over the last 12 months, for instance, and the figures are staggering. You know, the number of people on Hap and Ross between Cork City and Cork County is over 45 million. That's what was spent on supporting people. God, it's so, and you, course, you think about how many houses could be built, um, Deirdre, with that kind of money, don't you? This, well, you know, I have to say the Cork City Council, and I'm sure Cork County Council, they've met their targets this yeah, year. Yeah, yeah, they're, do, you know, they're doing I mean, their best. They're doing their best. Do, well, they are. And I mean, unfortunately, developers can only develop as fast as, as, as they can. You know, the people have disappeared with COVID. All the workers went back to other countries and that. But the fact is that we are allocating huge sums of money so it puts further pressure on the whole system when people up to a third refuse the housing that they're offered. And it's very unfair on the poor people behind them on the list. Are we getting to the stage that we have to offer the same house to five people and the first person up with all the, uh, the up-to-date information? Because, you know, there's significant vetting of each applicant this isn't done on a 24-hour So it isn't, order. yeah, I, I think people won't understand that. Um, it isn't as simple that if I refuse the house and you're next on the list that you can just get a phone call to say, ah, oh, Patricia doesn't want it, so you can have it instead, Deirdre. It isn't a simple process like that. No, it certainly isn't. It's forensic. They have to go, you know, they have to see what, who else is there. They have to be very fair. It has to be transparent. It has to back up. Um, you know, they have to get clearance for various documents. You know, they have to get financial documents. So there's a lot of work and uh, the council staff are under huge pressure. But I mean, we're all there to serve the people and try and give them, you know, what they want in terms of housing. But I think it's quite unfair that up to 30% wait until the last minute to turn down their housing offers offer and then it's back to the drawing board again for and the process the has to start all over again is there yeah. a sense that some people Deirdre are holding out perhaps for a newer house that has been said and, and I can understand why they would do that but having said that you know I think people need to be realistic you know uh, people in the private world have to cut their cloth and I think that, uh, you know, a lot of people may, you know, they have very specific needs, you know, if they have children with special needs, you know, if they need to be near their parents, all of these kind of things are acceptable. But it can't be that 30% of those that are allocated housing have a specific requirement. Yeah, it seems too and high. In, it's yeah, too high. and why, why are they bidding on the houses? Yeah, why if, if they're not they interested. Why are they saying we want these houses if ultimately they're not going to be interested in them? So are you saying a get-tough policy, if you refuse a house, you get pushed well down the list? I, what I'm saying is that we need to analyse very carefully why 30%, almost 30%, are turning down the houses. I think that 
we need to be very upfront with people and say, look, this is there's a lot of time um, going by from start to finish in this. If you're not interested, please tell us earlier and don't wait until the last minute. Because if you do, we're going to have to look at making it a little bit more difficult um, for you to go through the process again. Mm, okay. And it's your, your housing waiting list, I, I take it is at the highest ever, is it? Um, there's 8,400 oh. now. Uh, 3,500 of those are in HAP and Ross. That means they're being supported by the government and the local authority to stay in private rented accommodation. And and that is very difficult in itself. So that figure, uh, take that figure out and you're left with 4,250 who are looking for tenancies. And that's why it makes it more difficult to wonder why a third are refusing housing when they go through the process. Okay, I mean, and I and I know, and uh, and we're we're hopefully we didn't get to this. We may get to next week that the Cork County Council that they've got an issue with one and two bedroom houses and not enough one and two bedroom houses. Is that the same in the city, Deirdre? Yes. Yeah. I, as a matter of fact, I got a call yesterday from two men who are on their own for various reasons, and they're looking for. Um, a, uh, one is an apartment and uh, the other person has a difficult circumstance, which I won't go into, um, and looking for a two-bed. Um, and quite a lot of these um, men are coming on stream because they're getting separated. Very often, they, you know, the children remain with the mother or, you know, they... they they leave the family home to the family and they go into a one-bedroom apartment and, you know, they can't have the children visit them. So it's very difficult. Um, I think, you know, it's multifaceted. Um, I know everybody's doing their best, but in this specific point, I think we have to wake up and get real. If you turn down a house after all the process gone through, um, I think you have to think twice because number one, you're taking it off someone who would bite your hand off to get it, and number two, um, you know it's not it's not frivolous to do so. You know it's a serious issue to turn down a house. And they you're wasting that you're wasting the time of the council staff as well. Well, the council staff, to be fair, they are working flat out, and I'm in touch with them daily, and like they're they're stretched to the last. But they are forensic in the way they go about okay. their business. Right. And it's not so much waste time. None of us complain about the work we do. But we want people to be realistic. Please don't go through the process if you have no intention of taking it. OK. All right. We leave it on that note, uh, Deirdre. Thank you for that and thanks for joining us on the programme. Thanks, Patricia. Good morning to you. Bye-bye. That is Fine Gael, Cork City Councillor, Deirdre Ford. Cork Today on C103. With Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie. Cork sports journalist and commentator Joanna Reardon has lent her voice to a campaign by the Disabled Drivers Association of Ireland to urge county councils all over the country to introduce the association's Space Finder app service for disabled drivers and passengers in their area. And to find out more, uh, Joanna Reardon joins me. Good morning to you, Joanne. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. Now, the Space Finder app, it operates, I think, is it just in Limerick at the moment? 
Yeah, just in Limerick at the moment. Um, yeah, just just from the just from the start. So obviously they were the first council to you know help out and collaborate um, and work with the app, you know, to to make sure obviously that it works. But obviously it does, thankfully. Um, so now, yeah, I think basically the the question is just to ask other county councils, you know, to, to join up, you know, um, see what can be done. I suppose just try to relieve the stress for you know drivers or passengers even with a disability. Can you explain how the Space Finder app operates? Yeah, so basically you go onto the app. Obviously, if you were in Limerick, this would be much easier. You obviously put in uh, where you're going um, and then it'll come up basically saying if it has wheelchair spaces, where those wheelchair spaces are um, and different things like that. So, yeah, I think it even includes how many actual wheelchair spaces are there as well. So I think it just kind of makes it easier, you know, for people, you know, when they want to go to a restaurant or different things like that. And um, as well, I think if you put in the street or wherever you're going, it will tell you where the wheelchair spaces are actually on that street or nearby, or different places like that. You don't have to go into an actual location. Um, I think, you know, you, you just have to put in where you're going, not specifically, um, and just take it from there. And I think, yeah, it, it definitely makes a huge difference. I know I've been driving around Park City multiple times looking for, looking for wheelchair spaces, so it'd be much handier if I knew where they were. Especially yeah, and, and what's, what's brilliant about this app is it operates in real time, like there's sensors on the bays, so that when you go onto the app, it, while it'll tell you there's three bays there, but two of them are full. There's only one free. So at least you know when you drive there that there's one free as opposed to going there and they're all, there's somebody in all of them. So, I mean, it really is, it's a fantastic little app and, and well done to the Disabled Drivers Association for, for coming up uh, with it. I mean, is it desperately frustrating for you, Joanne, to be driving around looking for a parking space? Yeah, I mean, I think everyone can actually relate to it, you know, from, from that point of view. But I think, unfortunately, for someone, you know, with, with my car um, and someone with a disability, you're actually just limited to three, maybe four spaces, you know, per area, you know, on the street. Whereas, you know, someone um, without a disability can park in, you know, multiple spaces. So you can amplify that stress, I'd say, by 30 um, when you're driving around an incredibly busy time. And I think as well, you, you just happen to be going into the city or going into the town, wherever, in the middle of rush hour. Um, that makes it a whole lot worse and a whole lot more stressful. But no, I think it is something that's really handy. And I think it could, you know, as you as we were saying, alleviate just that, that stress for people. And as you said, with the real-time sensors as well, you know, you could be like, okay, this place might be available. I could just go around the corner and there's another space there. Mm. Um, instead of wandering around aimlessly and having Google Maps yell at you to turn around because you've gone well past your destination at that stage. And, and particularly important for if you're visiting an area that you don't know where the spaces are. Exactly. I mean, I was in Mayo um, just before Christmas um, and we decided to give a drive into Westport. And I mean, we were kind of like that, you know, we were driving around, looking around for wheelchair spaces. So admittedly, there was a lot of wheelchair spaces in that town, um, which was great to see. But, you know, like that, you don't know how far you are then from the town if you're walking. Yeah. You, know, you don't know which way you're going, um, different things like that. And I think, yeah, it's just, it's just to kind of help out. And, and um, you know, as we were saying, you know, if you want to go to X building, you want to go to the shop, but there's no spaces there, then you don't have to park 100 miles away, you know, just to get there. You could type it into the app, see what's nearby, um, and you don't have to, you know, carry your shopping or, you know, look look around and see where there's different ramps and access points and different things like that. And the wheelchair space is important for wheelchair users, uh, Joanne, because of the additional space that's in those parking bays. Exactly. So as an example, with my car um, at the moment, um, I obviously come out the back on a ramp um, and we need probably, I think it's about three metres roughly for the ramp to get out, for me to get out and then for me to turn, you know, without moving another car and different things like that. I mean, yeah, that's a lot of space to ask for. um, But I think it's, it's just planning and actually understanding what it's like to be a wheelchair user, what it's like to be looking for a parking space. 
um, and the actual needs you have when when looking for when needing that wheelchair space, I suppose is what I'm trying to say. Um, and yeah, I think it's about having a little bit of understanding, like awareness, um, and I think it's just kind of like better planning, you know, from 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 an actual road planning point of view. Um, and yeah, I think if we can factor in all those decisions, I think it makes sense. But then you've got other cars, you know, where the wheelchair comes out the side, or you've got maybe obviously I can't drive, but you have other wheelchair users who can drive, and they need to get out, you know. So it has to be wide enough, but also deep enough, you know, to make sure that if I pull out the ramp and I get out, I'm not not going to get you know hit by a car, God forbid, or yeah, out car. onto a busy road, yeah, yeah. yeah. And is it really annoying to discover people without a blue badge parked in one of those spaces? Yeah, look, it's incredibly annoying. And I think, you know, obviously the older you get, and you know, the more I've worked with other, you know, kind of disability organisations. I think, you know, the general consensus is, you know, you can't obviously, you know, assume someone doesn't have a disability. Um, but it is definitely an absolute bugbear, like, of the highest order. Um, you know, I think, like I said, I can't park in a normal space, you know, because I need the extra three metres, you know, at the back. Now, thankfully... The, the width isn't a problem because I do go out the back. Um, but, you know, as you were just saying, like even going out onto a busy road, if the only space available is literally adjacent to the road or pointing out towards the road with the meter space is tucked in in a lovely spot, you know, with someone's in it, you know, that is incredibly annoying. Um, but I think, as I said, you know, having worked with so many organisations, you also really can't assume, um, you know, you can't assume too much, but definitely when you don't see a blue badge, it is incredibly frustrating. Yeah, and then when when people are challenged, the famous argument is, oh, sure, I was only nipping into the chemist. I was only going to be in there for five minutes. Only going to be in there for two minutes. But they're yeah. the five minutes or the two minutes. When you are, uh, somebody else, a uh, wheelchair user, happens to be driving past. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, look, I mean, I think we're all, you know, as I always say to people, you know, I get if you're not aware of it the first time but, and someone obviously addresses it to you, but it's that if you choose you know, to, to do the same thing over and over and over again. And I think that's on you. Um, but I think it has been highlighted to you, which hopefully, you know, being on, you know, your show and the app and different things will highlight. And if you still decide to choose to do it, then I think that's on you. We need to take full responsibility, you know, for actually, like, upsetting a user, user, you know, physically and metaphorically because they've had to continue driving around looking for a space. Um, so, yeah, I think that's where I obviously stand with, with things like that. Um, you know, if you do it once and you weren't aware... Fair enough. But if you continue to do it, then, you know, I think that's on you. And I think Shame that's on you. Easy. Shame yeah, on you. OK, well, well done to Limerick City and County Council for introducing this app. app. And now uh, a big push on all of the other councils, especially our own here in Cork, Cork City Council and Cork County Council. Come on and introduce this Space Finder uh, app. A lot of people certainly will benefit uh, from it. Uh, listen, Joanne, always a pleasure to talk to you. How is how is life with you? You're, you're home in Mill Street, are you, because of COVID? Yeah, home mystery, but you know, things have definitely been um busier busier than ever, um, uh, with the Irish Times and um doing school talks and all that kind of stuff. So no, it's been a really enjoyable um um start to the year. So no, I'm I'm having a great time. I actually got a new car yesterday, so it's all right. Did quick. you? Okay. Okay. So and and you're and you've worked have you worked away right throughout the pandemic then? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's been it's been it's been incredibly busy, yeah, even with the pandemic. Um I think it's a really as you know yourself, it's a really lovely opportunity to share different stories that you necessarily mightn't share throughout the year because, you know, scheduling, you know, especially with us in sports. Um, so, yeah, it's been really, really good. And, yeah, really, really enjoying it, weirdly enough. Yeah, and it looks like uh, sports are, are coming back with the opening up of the the fully full capacity for sporting venues. Yeah, it, it's great. A lot of people wait, waiting for that. It's great to see. Yeah, I was at the ladies' football Moran Abbey game now last week and 
I was never so excited. I was like a spring lamb going out, but hopefully, hopefully my teams won't get slaughtered by April. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, you stay safe, uh, Joanne, and hi to all of the family. And thanks a million for joining us this morning. Thanks for having me. Good morning to you. Bye bye. Bye bye. That is the wonderful Joanna Reardon uh, from uh, Mill Street on that app, which at the moment is only in Limerick, but please got uh, other county councils around the country and city councils are, uh, around the country might decide to introduce it. 0818 103 103. John Paul is taking your calls. You can text her WhatsApp to 0862 103 103. Court today on C103. With Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale, now part of McCarthy Insurance. Group. Want great advice? You know who to talk to. CMIG.ie. You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. Okay, let's take a look at some of your texts and calls coming into the programme. Before we get to the lot of texts coming in about Neffet approving the easing of almost all of the COVID-19 restrictions and we're awaiting on the official announcement from Micheál Martin probably at six o'clock this evening, the normal address to the nation. Uh, but before we get to that, Anne was on to say, Patricia, is there any shop in Mallow that sells dairy-free chocolate? And I... I'm surprised to even see you send in that text down. Dairy-free chocolate, very widely available. I imagine if you go into any of the supermarkets, they normally have a free-from section. Uh, you, you certainly will be able to get it. And remember, if it's dairy-free, you're looking for most, no, not all, but most of dark chocolate is dairy-free as well. So you shouldn't have absolutely any problem getting your dairy-free chocolate in Mallow or indeed anywhere across Cork City and County. Now, Michael was on about the easing of the restrictions, says, hi, Patricia. I am really really delighted that things are on the way back to normal but it does come with a bit of a warning says Michael is it too much too soon you know Covid hasn't gone away and figures are increasing in France and in Italy plus the fact that they're staggeringly staggeringly high in the UK and they're opening up there but says Michael the opening up there is just a distraction from the shenanigans that are going on in number 10 which I think they will pay a price for all round. We need to be extremely careful in this country we don't want to take one giant leap forward only then to have to take two steps backwards thanking you. Uh, And Michael I think you're summing up what a lot of people are fearful about on one hand People thrilled to think that restrictions are easing, thrilled to think that we're getting back to some kind of a normal life. But then there's that nagging worry and doubt there. The pandemic hasn't gone away. You know, will we, will we be back again in a few weeks time going, oh, sorry, we got that one wrong. We need to put restrictions back in place. And nobody wants that. I mean, if we're opening back up as we are expecting is going to be announced today. We want it to be opening back up for good. We never want it to have to return to uh, restrictions. More of your comments. Morning, Patricia. It's too soon to lift all the restrictions now. I think Neffet should have waited at least another month. Give it another month because, as you've said, the pandemic is far from over. Then somebody else says, if people are not happy about the reopening of the country and getting things back to normal, then would you ever tell those people to uh, stay at home? Let the people that want to get on with their lives go out and the ones that don't can remain at home. We have all had enough of this, says the texter. Someone else says this. 
this is ridiculous. It is by it is far too soon. We'll be back to high cases again before we know it, and people will throw away their COVID passes, and then they'll be needed again when the cases are high, and then they won't have the COVID uh, passes. Uh, I don't agree with the easing of these restrictions under any circumstances, says a texter. So there's, there is very much that kind of mixed view coming in with a lot of people just as I say a little bit nervous about it all Mike in Skibbereen says to the crowd who are texting and calling you today saying to keep things closed will you ever tell them to get a life they're going to have the whole country depressed we have worked right throughout this pandemic Neffet know what they are doing we've relied on Neffet all along they know what they're doing if they're telling us to reopen then please let the country reopen that's from Mike in Skibbereen uh, Emer is in Charleville says listening to comments from people coming into your programme who think it is too soon to open and others who literally can't wait to get out for a lot of us we continue to work right throughout the pandemic trying to organise childcare one of our biggest headaches so while everything starts to reopen it actually isn't going to make a huge bit of difference to a number of us workers yes we might get out for a meal once a month but with everything rising in costs and the cost of living going up. I don't think opening up the country is going to make much of a difference to many people, particularly if you're straddled with a mortgage and childcare uh, costs. I think Emer and Carrie Galine again, summing up what a lot of people would say. They'd love to be out two nights a week, but they're not going to be able to afford it. But of course, there will be others as there is pent up money there and pent up savings there that people are expecting that there will be a bounce towards hospitality. And I also saw a piece on the paper earlier telling people if you're planning on going away, because obviously now with restrictions easing, people are planning on going on holidays costs are going to go up that you need to get booking uh, quickly. Dean in Clonakilty says, well, it's great to see businesses open and to be able to stand at a bar again for a pint. I actually enjoy it, he said, the less rushing around, the quiet life. And Dean wonders, he says, am I the only one? I also hope employers let us work from home for a certain amount of days as many people have moved out from the cities or are moving, living out in, in the county areas and people moved home. I mean, Joanna Reardon was saying how she's moved home continue to work but she's working from her, from her home place in Mill Street and a lot of people have done that and a lot of people liked the idea of not having the commute. There will be a number of interesting discussions between employers and employees because what's expected to be announced is a phased return to the office for workers. It isn't going to be a case of every office will open their door on Monday morning and everyone, everybody will be back in. So there'll be a number of conversations held when the when the announcement is made as to when the phased return will start and you will see some people just will not be happy. They'll be fighting tooth and nail to stay at uh, home. Hi, uh, Patricia. What they have done and what we have done all along, it feels to me like it's a complete waste of uh, time. Now they're saying lift all the re- restrictions. I'm going to go out and have a ball. No more rules or lockdowns for me ever again. And somebody else says that as well as it always. It's not a waste of time. We saved a lot of lives with everything that we did over the last two years. And it's been tricky and it's been difficult. But lives have been saved uh, because of it. Somebody else said there's no need for Micheál Martin to address the nation. There's been so many leaks. 
weeks, we know exactly what he is going to uh, announce. Announce. Um, and hi, Patricia. Great news. Everything opening. Can't wait to get back out fully. The most of the they've taken Neffet's advice most of the time. They need to take Neffet's advice now. If people are unhappy about it, then please the message is allow the rest of us who want to go out, let us go out, and you can always remain at at home. Oh eight one eight one oh three one oh three. Just a couple of other texts in on different issues. Uh, Mary in Rathcool, morning to you, Mary, was listening to our, our chat with uh, Joanna Reardon says good morning to Joanne. Uh, some woman for one woman. We are all so proud of her, says uh, Mary, but she's known that for a good many years. And then Mary was listening to Joanne talk about that if she can't get the perfect parking space, a disabled parking space for her car and her wheel then the ramp goes out the back and her wheelchair then comes out the back of uh, the back of her car the danger is that if she parks in a normal parking space she could be backing out onto a very busy road and you can imagine how dangerous that would be. Well Mary said she witnessed something this morning there was a woman with a double buggy who went right out onto a road in Cantorca, sorry this was on Wednesday, it was school uh, time and this woman double buggy straight out onto uh, the road and there was buses and cars all over the place and Mary said my heart nearly skipped a beat. People need to be so careful and obviously that was around school times as well and it's so busy around school times with the amount of cars and buses at pick up and drop off at time and then you've got children who don't you know do their we do our best as parents to teach children the safe cross coat but there'll always be a child who'll see something across the road or see mammy or daddy or granddad or whoever's collecting them across the road and run out from behind a, a car you have to be so careful if you're driving anywhere near uh, schools for sure. Thank you for your text uh, Mary. And then Pat is a tad annoyed. Pat said, just went to the Civic Community Centre on the South Link. Needed to recycle some cans and some cardboard. All the bins are full. Four bins for cans Every one of them full. A huge container for cardboard full to the brim. This, by the way, says Pat, is the second time that this has happened to me since Christmas. If they're not going to empty the bins, why open the recycling area at all? Especially when they say you can't leave bags by the bins and don't. Whatever you do, leave bags by the bins. We've had people because they've got CCTV on it and we've had people prosecute it because they'll take your car registration number. But... I sense your frustration and I know how frustrating that is and you're going to have to make a third attempt to go back with your cans and your cardboard. What I normally say to people though if you go to a civic community site or or a bring site there's normally a telephone number on it that you can ring to let them know that it's full. Obviously the weeks after Christmas is the busiest time for any of these recycling centres because most of us tried to do our best with all of the extra packaging that came into our house over Christmas. Most of us tried to do our best to make sure that we do recycle it. So therefore there is always additional strain put on bring sites and on civic amenity sites after Christmas. But I know whenever we contact uh, the council about it, they'll always say, you know, let the council know. There's usually, as I say, a telephone number on it. Let them know that the bins are, are filled. They may, you know, it mightn't be due to be emptied for another two days and they're unaware that it is full to, to the brim. So I don't know if you've got a number that you can contact, Pat, but that's always been my suggestion uh, to people. But well done for bringing your recycling home. And I feel for you having to go back a third time. 0818 103 103. Text or WhatsApp 0862 
103 103. Court today on C103. With Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale. Now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. For motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance, cmig.ie. According to Antashka, coastal counties right across the country will have to take steps to ensure dogs are kept off their blue flag beaches if they want to retain what is a coveted International Environmental Award. So how will Cork County Council deal with this issue? Joining me, West Cork Councillor uh, Paul Hayes. Good morning to you, Paul. Morning, Patricia. And you're welcome to the programme. Now, I, I suppose, just the background here, this is not a new uh, regulation, it, it, is it? I mean, dogs are already banned from blue flag breaches, am I right? They, they are, I suppose, yeah. So, um, yeah, this, this kind of issue is, is, is definitely causing a bit of consternation in, in the in the southwest, but it, it is really nothing new. Um but yeah, I suppose, look, it is on Tashka are trying to, I suppose, tighten up on the, the existing rules that are there already. And I mean, even for Cork County, the, you know, the, these this issues with regard to blue flag beaches in particular, but there are even um, beach bylaws for all the other beaches as well that they were enacted in, in Cork, County Cork back in May 2011. So, um, yeah, so nothing new, I suppose, really. But uh, dogs do end up on blue flag beaches. To do, to do indeed, I suppose. And um, look, I suppose we're, we're fortunate to have so many fantastic beaches locally here. But I suppose, look, from Antasca's point of view, and they're getting direction from Europe, they're particularly concerned um, about harmful pathogens linked to dog feces. And I know you've, we've discussed that issue in the past with you, and you've given it a good airing as well. Uh, like, nobody would disagree that you know, anyone bringing their dogs to the beach should always clean up after them. That's, that's absolutely, you know... Uh, common sense um, and it, that seems to be the, the biggest issue they have on, on this occasion with regard to dogs on, and horses um, like in the beach bylaws as they stand at the moment you're supposed to have control of your dog you know at the beach or on a lead or um, and generally speaking for the summer months you know they're, they're supposed to be on a lead between you know, or, or before or you're not really supposed to bring them onto the beach sorry before um yeah, between 11 and 7 during the summer months. So it's something similar to that is being proposed and they're trying to tighten up on the uh, on the rules and regulations on that side of it. Yeah, because for the Blue Flag Beaches, I, I read up on this uh, yesterday, The it's the it's when the flag is flying, which is during the bathing season, which begins from the 1st of June. So during the winter months, it's okay to bring your dogs to the beach? Pretty much, yeah. And, and kind of before, it, it's as a general rule, kind of before and after the, uh, the lifeguards start duty. Yeah. So yeah, kind of around eleven o'clock to about seven p.m. Um, but I, I think, look, it, it's, it's all about. I suppose it, it is causing you know issues for people. But I think it's just about trying to find a balance between you know enjoying the fantastic natural amenities on our doorstep, and also kind of being cognizant of the environmental you know sensitivities of our beaches and dune systems and water quality um, and all of that. Like, I mean, I remember it was before my time in the council back in 2011, but like the, the, the bylaws were brought in, I suppose, for a good reason back then, you know, with issues, you know, there was a kind of proliferation of motorised beach or dune buggies. I remember it, um, yeah. There was jet skis coming too close to shore. Um, and again, something that happens every year at our beaches, you know, there's, there's campfires being lit on the dunes, littering commercial vehicles and camper vans parking up on the dunes and the and the kind of the green grass margins and stuff like that. So, like, you know, the bylaws are there for good reason at the same time. But look, I suppose, look, on Tashka have latched onto this one and say they have contacted all the councils last year, in fact, 
uh, and said, look, you need, you need to tighten up on the on the, the dog aspect in, in particular. So I suppose like from Cork County Council's point of view, they are going to p- be putting up increased signage um, before the summer months, just advising people of the um, of their responsibilities with regard to, to dog ownership and walking dogs in the over that particular time during the summer. But the big problem is enforcement, Paul, isn't it? I mean, who's going to... You, you can't have inspectors are on every single beach every single day to check that nobody's walking their dogs. Yeah, that's that's pretty much what it comes down to. So, look, as I said, it, it will be kind of personal responsibility. Um, you know, and, and there are areas like in Shidani, we'll say, the left-hand side of the, the Virgin Mary Bank, you know, that's not a blue flag flag beach, you know, so... You can, you're free to walk your dog on the left yeah. side. Yeah, well, you have a choice. You have a choice there. Yeah, exactly. And again, as I said, look, some people are quite afraid of dogs and, you know, they don't like in, any interaction with that. So we have to be kind of mindful of that as well. And and anyway, I mean, I think even, you know, people with horses, that they're not inclined to bring their horses down to a very busy beach like in Chidani and Barleycove, you know, in the height of summer. I, I, nobody wants that either um, because it just it, it doesn't suit. And like... I bring my dogs for a walk a couple of times a day and it's usually early in the morning or late at night when I know I can let them off the lead and give them a good run around, you know. So I think a bit of common sense will have to come into it as well, to be honest with you. Yeah, it's resp- um, it's, I, well, I, we're back to what we often reference on this programme, responsible pet ownership. It's not the dog's fault, it's yeah, the responsible absolutely. pet ownership. Absolutely, yeah. As I said, I don't, like, I don't envisage, you know, lifeguards engaging with, with uh, people saying, look, you, you know, you need to get off the beach with your dog. Certainly, like the role of the lifeguard will be to watch the water and keep people safe in, in that regard. So, as I said, unless council personnel take a, a, a drive by from time to time and keep an eye on all of the other aspects, as I said, more often than not, it's commercial vehicles and camper vans and uh, you know parking in the wrong place and causing nuisance in that regard. But um, look, I, I, I think this will this will pass over. I think um, there'll be increased signage and people are just going to have to be abide by the rules. How many how many yeah. blue flag beaches do we have in Cork? Uh, will be five. Five. Okay. Yeah. All right. And and of course these rules are not just it's not just on Tashka because this is an internationally recognised award. I think there's something like fifty countries operate the blue flag award. So all the other countries abide by these rules as well. It's not on Tashka making them up for us. Exactly. Yeah, they're 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 being um, advised by their European counterparts again. Like, and, and it is just something, and it, it is purely like the the from the dog feces. You know, it's the water quality aspect of it. It's not even, you know, having dogs on a beach or you know, it, it, it's quite specific. And um, you know, well, there's a full report there, but the the one that seems to be causing the most issue is is having dogs near a bathing area. Um, so look, I, I think. You know, even within that scope, I think there's there's room for for dog walkers walkers to be enjoying, you know, the coastal facilities uh, and all of that. But look, maybe maybe not go down where where people are swimming as such uh, during the summer months. Um, and I think I think everyone will be able to enjoy the uh, the, the beaches. All we need is a bit of sunshine, and uh, we'll, we'll we'll be happy. And we'll we'll be, dream we'll of that. It. And how important is it to have blue flag status? Um, again, I suppose look, it, it is kind of a feather in our cap, really. Um, I suppose people expect a certain level of quality. You know, if if uh, if, if we can say, look, we have we have five uh, blue flag beaches in, in Cork. You know, you're in. I know they do the same in, in Kerry and Waterford as well. Um, so it is. I suppose. Look, it's just another marketing um, thing, really. And, and as I said, it's just you know a, a, an important accreditation. But I suppose. Look, I mean, 
if if things start becoming too restrictive, you know, and on Tashka really do start implementing, um, you know, quite restrictive uh, rules and regulations around the beaches, maybe then a conversation may need to be had about, you know, applying for blue flag status. But at the minute, I know for, from from the council's point of view, we're very very keen to apply for it and to um, certainly to, to advertise it. Then saying, look, we, we, we've we've the best of beaches. But I suppose, look, I mean, w- w- would it's probably not the only deciding factor when people decide to go to, you know, Inchinani or Barley Cove or Gary Lucas or, you know, anywhere along the coast, uh, you know, they want to go because there's there's nice facilities, it's a beautiful amenity and it's safe and, and, and there's going to be lifeguard cover there, um, you know, from a peace of mind point of view if you're there with the kids um, during the summer months, you know. So, like, the blue flag uh, status isn't the only going for an area but um, it certainly look I suppose it, it is just one of those accreditations that you know it's nice to hold up and say look yeah we have yeah we have this and you mentioned Kerry County Council they've really reacted with fury over this I mean I saw one councillor saying it is the hallmarks of the nanny state they seem to be very angry about it they do yeah it, it hasn't come up um, for discussion at, at our uh, council meeting as yet so perhaps uh, we might have the same conversation but I think the fact is you know, we, we discussed, the, you know, our beaches and parking, as we've done with yourself in your own programme there for a number of years. And as I said, you know, that the beach bylaws have been in in Cork for over 10 years at this stage anyway. Um, you know, so I think we've kind of learned to live with it and and, uh, and, and kind of get along with it. But uh, I, I think, yeah, I'm, I'm not so sure that Kerry in particular have... Uh, the beach bylaws in place that, that we have, have here, yeah, yeah, so, yeah. I think, I think, I think it could be that, right. I think it could be right. No. So, somebody says the other day uh, while walking on the beach, I found dog f- poo placed in the life boy boxes. Absolutely horrible. I mean, I can never understand that people go to the bother of bringing their bags with them to clean up after their dogs and then won't dispose of it properly. Yeah, it's appalling. Yeah, Just, many of the, the local walks and stuff here. You know, people go to the trouble of bagging it and then they'll throw it into the ditch or the bags know. hanging off half a tree like. Just appalling, like so. There's, there's no, there's no excuse for that, you know. Okay, and just finally, while we have you on the line, we spoke our, um, during the week about the West Cork railway line and that new report uh, that has come out. Could you ever see any of the railway lines reinstated, or is it sim- is it just is the cost simply just too much? It, it probably is. Um, I mean, look, I, I, you know, as chairman of the, the West Cork Model Railway Village, um, it, it's it's a fantastic idea, and I, I think you know everyone looking back to the, the service that was available up until the, the early 1960s, you know, and the potential like for tourism, and you know, uh, if you you know to take so many trucks off the road and everything, and just in uh, transit between West Cork and the city for jobs and all that, you know, it would be absolutely fantastic, but. In reality, I, I think, you know, if you're looking at other projects that, um, you know, like the conference centre in, in, in Cork and, uh, you know, just even the whole who have trying to get the metro in Dublin um, and, or an underground system or, you know, uh, even, you know, a light rail system from our airports into the city centres. I mean, we're, we're so far behind when it comes to public transport um, that I, I think it's a fantastic idea. I, do, I would love to see some sort of uh, light rail system reintroduced in, in West Cork but I, I honestly could never see it happening to be honest. No, wor- worst mistake they ever made closing down the railway do you think? I think so yeah and yeah. they were so eager to pull up the tracks I mean look we, even between you know, Cork Mac and Timoleague and there's other places there that have made great use of the old rail lines and, and you 
know, they're creating greenways and lovely walkways. I think that's probably the, the, the most realistic, best use for, mm. for for these lines into the future. Um, but yeah, it, it was just such a shame that they um, they were so eager to, 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 to pull up the lines. Ah, I see they thought cars and trucks was the way forward. That's what they were thinking at the time. All right. All right. Listen, Paul, we leave it there. Thank you for that. And uh, thanks for joining us on the programme. Good morning to you. Take care. That is uh, West Cork uh, Councillor Paul uh, Hayes. And on the topic that we, we brought him on about the blue flag beaches and the, the chance on Tasca saying you, you risk losing your blue flag if you allow dogs. The listener says, Patricia, it is outrageous, the head of Antasca, that Antasca can dictate policy for the whole country. Well, it isn't Antasca dictating the policy because remember the criteria that is set down for blue flag, for the awarding of a blue flag, it's an international Award. It comes from a group called the Foundation for Environmental Education and they set down the criteria and it is the same criteria in every country as the same when I was reading up on it yesterday when I knew Paul was joining me on the programme. There's like 50 countries operate the Blue Flag Award and this part of the criteria is that when the bathing season begins, you're not allowed to have dogs on the beach during the bathing season and while you know people might be in the water so I think it's 11 and 7 Paul says uh, during the bathing season so it's and the easiest way to work it out is, is when the lifeguards are on duty if you're on duty you're on a blue flag beach and there's lifeguards then if you should not bring your dog with you if you are planning on bringing uh, your dog but anytime outside of that you can so it isn't on Tashka they're just saying that these are, this is the criteria for the, for the awards and they're just reminding councils all over the country that that is one of the rules that are in place if you want to maintain your blue flag then you've got to get those dogs off the beach 0818 103 103 text or WhatsApp 0862 103 103 Court today on C103 With Sean Cusack Insurance as Kinsale Now part of McCarthy Insurance Group They don't just talk the talk They walk the walk CMIG.ie A West Cork bar owner is on a mission to stamp out so-called catfish incidents at his restaurant with a new initiative designed to protect the safety of female customers uh, James Casey of Casey's Bar and Restaurant in Clonakilty joins me to explain more. Good morning to you, James. Hi, Patricia. You, How are you? I'm very well and you're very welcome to the programme. Now, you've come up with a very clever system for customers to alert a member of staff if they feel they're in any kind of an uncomfortable situation. Can you just outline to us how it, how it works? Yes, that's correct. Um, so, how it happens, how it works is, so if you were on a date and it wasn't going well or the person who you're hoping to meet wasn't the person if they put up fake pictures or different pictures or pictures of themselves maybe 10 years ago. So um, when the server goes down to them, down to the table, especially when there was only table service alone, um, the person in in on the date could ask for oh, um, an angel shot. So the server then would know that there's something wrong or there's an issue with this table. So, um, number one, we keep an eye on it. Or if they asked for uh, a niece that they'd want to lift, or they wanted to walk, escorted to their car, or if they wanted it addressed, to know that um, we could call them a lift or a taxi, and oh, stuff like that. And what prompted you to introduce this, James? So, how it started was, I've seen something like it in Australia when I was over there. Um, seven years ago now, I suppose. 
But I was working myself one evening and there was uh, a woman came in and she asked for a table for two and for food and drink. And I said, yeah, no problem at all. There's a lovely table here by the window for it. And then uh, her, the, she said uh, the fellow that she was meeting came in a few minutes later, sat him down at the table, uh, gave him their menus and took a drinks order off them. So that was all fine when they got the drinks. And when I was bringing down the drinks to the table, I heard her mentioning that you don't look like your profile pictures at all at all. They're totally different. And so I said, geez, this, this is not good. This is not good. Like The state so, isn't going well. Yeah. So I kind of kept an eye on them. And um, she actually, they drank half the drinks and she actually left. And I kind of followed him out the door with a pen and brush, you know, brush up outside just to make yeah. sure that she did get away safely and did get to her car safely, which she did. She, uh, she went one way and he went another way. She got into her car and drove off. So that's kind of what brought this about to get me thinking about something, you know. Yeah, be- and because so many people are now arranging to meet and go on a date through the internet and dating websites, I mean, it is the way that people meet now. The, both people have to very much trust that the other person is being honest and that they're telling the truth and that they're sharing up-to-date, accurate photographs. But that's not always the case in no, real life. No, unfortunately not. Um, but I suppose... I can't see the reason behind it because they'll get caught out eventually, you know. Um, you know, so it's better to be honest. It's a, an upfront. Yeah, yeah. But unfortunately, this is happening. Um, I didn't hear many cases of it in Clonakilty, but I've heard a lot of it in Dublin now and Cork City and big cities and stuff like that. But we actually had one incident with a member of staff since we bought in this back in uh, October. Um, there was a couple, they were sitting down, um, everything seems to be going good. And one of the bar staff went down to the table and asked them, would they okay for everything? Did they want another drink? And she asked, she, she actually asked for the angel shot. So he said, yeah, yeah, that's no problem. He went back up to the bar, came back down to the table and said, there's actually someone here looking for you. Would you mind coming with me? Well done. And she got her coat and her bag, went to the bar, thanked your man and walked out the door. And he actually followed her out the door to make sure that she did get away okay. Yeah, because like the the case that you witnessed with the girl and the guy using different photographs or or whatever, uh, she obviously was brave enough to be able to say to him and felt comfortable enough to say, this date isn't working, I'm going home. And then they both went their separate ways. But not everyone, there's times when not everybody's that brave to do that or if they feel intimidated in any way, they may not be able to just get up and leave. Especially if there's a few around, you know, they wouldn't want to make a scene or, you know, cause a, a distraction or anything like that. I suppose some people aren't as outgoing and forward, you know, they kind of um, kind of sit through rather than make it known. Yeah, and you don't want to put, they don't want to put themselves into any kind of an awkward situation. Um, in a former life, you worked in security. So would you, would you have seen a lot of people get into kind of very vulnerable positions? Um, you you would, I suppose. Um, they'd be all different instances. Um, you know, but you kind of know it a lot in a restaurant setting rather than, uh, you know, opening a nightclub pre-COVID because, you know, you'd know by their body language if their coat wasn't taken off. 
you know, if their feet isn't underneath the table, if they're pointing towards the door or the exit, you know, you'd know by their body language a lot anyway if they weren't comfortable or, you know, they weren't settled in the setting. Yeah, you've, you've got good at reading people's body language uh, over the years. Now, hopefully, we're waiting on the announcement uh, later on today. The table service bit uh, will be gone, so people will be able to come up to, to the bar. Is that something that you're really looking forward to, James, getting back to some kind of normality? Oh, to be great. Um, <laughs> to be great. Um, table service and everything, it's all well and good and everything. It's very labour intensive. It's very hard on the staff. You know, you must come up, take the order, um, fill the drink, go down with the drink, come up with the money, go down with the change. Yeah. You know, and that's only for one customer. You must do that for everyone, you know. And the eight o'clock closing, has that been has that been very difficult for you? Uh, it is it is very difficult. We'll be a live music venue as well. So we do a lot of food during the day and then we'd have live music at weekends, uh, Friday to Monday. Yeah. And so I'd say our, our turnover was down probably about 40 to 50%. Wow. wow. Just because, you know, we'd have big crowds for the music. Now, if, as expected, we'd, what we're waiting now on is the timeline. If they say you're good to go from tomorrow night, would you, will you have staff? Will you have everything in? Would you be, would you be good to go for tomorrow night? We'd, we'd try our best. Would you? We'd, yeah. We'd pull staff from anywhere we could, mainly, but... Um, to be kind of a disaster because the roster is made, you know, the orders are done, you know, it depends on stock as well. We have stocked, say, for up to eight o'clock and closing, we haven't really stocked it for, um, you know, a weekend night or a Saturday night, you know, with no table service or anything like that. Ideally, what you need, about a week leading? Is that what you'd need? Um, yeah. If, yeah. So, for example, we put in our orders on a Monday for the week the follow the week ahead. So yeah. ideally if we if we knew um today for next week sometime we'd be one hundred percent ready for it. Okay, okay. And there is a, a sense and now while well, nobody's saying is the pandemic is, is over. Are you surprised at how far the easing of restrictions is gonna go? Um I wasn't expected to go fully back this normal <laughs> to be honest. Okay. I thought they'd gradually, gradually bring it back slowly. Yeah. Personally, but um, hopefully, hopefully that this is the right thing that they're doing, and it is slowly getting behind us. And that this is the the beginning of the end, and we can get back to some kind of normality. And this bank holiday, this super duper bank holiday around St Patrick's Day, I mean that'll be huge for a town like Clonakilty. It will be huge. I for um, extra big for Clonakilty because it's actually the West Cork Rally as well. Yeah. Yeah in Clannacilty that weekend so it's a massive weekend as it is so it'll be just longer and I think it'll encourage more people to come to Clannacilty as well There won't be a bed or a sofa free in Clannacilty that weekend I'm telling you yeah, hopefully now it'll be um, you know, a good way to get back to normal. OK, all right. Listen, well done on your, your angel concept. I think it's it really is uh, terrific. And it's good to know for, for, for girls and, of course, it can be for guys as well yeah, if, they want, if they want to feel safe and all of your staff are up to date on it, which is fantastic. Listen, we leave it there, uh, James. Thank you for that and uh, good luck with the hopefully the fully reopening of all the hospitality industry. But thanks for joining us on the programme today. Very good. 
You're welcome. Thanks, Patricia. Good morning to you. Bye-bye. That is James Casey of Casey's Bar and Restaurant in Clonakilty. Of course, we heard earlier this morning the, when the death was announced of um, Meatloaf, he was 74. He was Marvin Lee Day. That was his actual uh, name. And he passed away yesterday, surrounded by his uh, family. He, he had such an amazing career. And it was a career that went on for six decades. In total, over a hundred million albums were sold. But he wasn't just a singer. He was also an actor. He had starred, and I was surprised to read this, he he starred in over 65 movies. I mean, I remember him in the Rocky Horror Picture Show, and of course he was also in Wayne's World. But Bat Out of Hell, that for me would have been my teenage album, and the album that I still to this day could sit down and, and listen to. It's a fantastic album that still remains one of the top 10 selling albums of all time. It was just, it is an incredible album. If you've never heard it, treat yourself to uh, Bat Out of Hell. And of course, Bat Out of uh, Hell. Uh, it was, it was, not, oh, it was 1977. Okay, I was wondering what, what year it was uh, released. And Bat Out of Hell, that album on its own sold more than 50 million copies. And Meatloaf wrote that along with uh, Jim Steinman. That's who he collaborated with and they collaborated on a number of songs even after uh, Bat Out of Hell and Jim Steinman passed away only last April. So the two of them are gone uh, now and of course Dead Ringer was the, there was a follow up one that both of them did in uh, 1981 so he will be well well remembered and actually he someone else was saying Patricia I remember seeing uh, Meatloaf he played at the first ever Fela Festival in Thurless in County Tipperary I was at that gig myself that was in 1990 the first ever uh, Fela and of course went on there was many more uh, Fela's after that but he was the big big headline uh, act and he was also did I see somewhere that he started one of the first things he ever did and it would have been back in the 60s he was in the musical Hair so I think that's where he actually started out his career was in musical theatre and I know he he was Shakespearean trained as well he'd done Shakespearean acting and if anyone ever saw Meatloaf in concert you will know that when he came out on stage he didn't interact with the crowd he, he acted all of his concerts were like uh, like a play in themselves almost he'll be really really missed he hadn't been well for a while I know the family are not are not saying that the cause of uh, death but he he hadn't been well for a number of years he hadn't been well but they're not actually saying what was the cause of uh, death but rest in peace at Meatloaf You're listening to Cork Today on Replay Phone and text lines are currently closed Dan says Patricia if memory serves me right Meatloaf played in Connor. it was around 1990 when our then teenager got out and back in through her bedroom window to attend she was too young to be allowed uh, to go uh, does anybody remember that Meatloaf playing in Connor? He did. He he went through a stage, and you are right. It would be around uh, 1990. 1990 was the year that he played Fela, the very first Fela in Tipperary. And there was a period of time around then when he did a lot of sort of smaller festivals. He was used to the big live stadium gigs, but then he kind of, I don't know whether he, you know, the fans he had lost interest and he wasn't able to pack out the bigger arenas so he, he did a number of small ones so yeah you're probably right he probably did play in Connor. does any remember remember Meatloaf in Connor around 1990
90. Thank you, Dan, for your uh, text. I've been asked to say hi to somebody who's celebrating a special birthday and I was asked to do it as close after 12. Sorry, I'm a bit late with this. It's Bridget Landers is in Kilbehny and Bridget is 101 today. Happy birthday to you, Bridget. Your niece in Charlotte was on. Wants to wish you all the best and the message is put your feet up and pour a glass of Baileys. Listen, Bridget, if you're 101, I'd have more than one glass of uh, Baileys. Enjoy your uh, birthday. Happy birthday to you. Okay, let's get back to a number of your texts coming in. Hi, Patricia. Enjoying your show. Thank you very much. I'm just wondering, social dancing. Is social dancing coming back now that they're the easing of almost all of the COVID-19 restrictions? Can't wait. This has gone on long enough. Everybody knows at this stage what to do, says Phil. Please bring back our social dancing. I would assume social dancing would be included because what we're being told with the easing of all of the restrictions uh, and the changes around hospitality, and obviously social dancing would fall in under that, the hospitality, pubs, Restaurants all to return to normal opening hours. Nightclubs are to reopen. But they're also removing capacity limits at live events and matches. So that would have been one of the reasons why social dancing would have stopped. You weren't allowed to have so many people inside. And the other one that they are removing is the in the all the restrictions around social distancing. So obviously they were the two things that was that were affecting social dancing. You had the social distancing, you couldn't get up close and personal. And the other one was the capacity limits inside in the hall or the venue wherever the social dancing was on. So both of those have been removed. So Phil, yes, I would be definitely saying social dancing will be back up and running. And if anybody's involved with organising social dancing, and I'm assuming it'll probably be next weekend before it comes back, let us know so that we can give shout outs because so many people have really missed uh, social dancing since the start of the pandemic. Hi Patricia. So the anti-vaxxers have won. What is the point? What was the point in all of those rules, particularly about those of us having certs to gain entry to an establishment when they're now saying it's all okay to mix? I for one think we'll have to be more on our guard now than ever. Well I wouldn't say the anti-vaxxers have won because if you think about it, when we were operating our COVID certificates uh, the people who hadn't been vaccinated or who didn't have COVID then they couldn't get in. So no, I mean I don't think it's a case of the anti-vaxxers have won I think Neffet now feel that it is okay for us to uh, not to use the COVID pass to enter a bar or restaurant anymore. I think because what they're trying to do, they're trying to get everything back to as normal a life as possible. And somebody then, this came up, thank you for your text. Somebody was asking, we we dealt with this or it came up uh, during the week as well and somebody's on about it again. Will there be a need for a fourth COVID vaccine dose? One of our listeners saying, I've had my booster shot, glad to get it but I'm reading online that other countries are going down another needing another booster will we be doing that here in Ireland well we're very much led by what NIAC NIAC are the ones that make that uh, decision and NIAC obviously keeping a very close eye on what's happening with the fourth Covid vaccine uh, dose but NIAC won't react until Europe. That's normally what happens is Europe makes the decisions and it's up to all individual uh, countries and I know that the European Union health ministers, they're 
trying to find a common line over this potential fourth dose of COVID-19 vaccine. And obviously that's to do with the spike in the number of cases of the Omicron variant. While our numbers are now thankfully starting to fall, still very high in this country, but right across Europe there has been a massive spike with the Omicron variant. So the EU drugs regulator said earlier this week it would be reasonable to think that we will have to give a fourth dose. But they're saying to people with severely weakened immune systems and maybe older people, I don't know. Certainly they don't seem to be looking at saying we're going to give a fourth dose to everyone, but they're in discussions at the moment. Now, some EU member states have already decided, yeah, that is the route we're going to go down. Hungary and Denmark are have already decided to roll out a fourth dose. Copenhagen said they will do it. They're just doing it for the most vulnerable, while the Hungarian government are saying everyone can get it after they have a consultation with their GP. The rollout of fourth dose is, of course, the reason that a lot of the world started talking about this was uh, it began last month. It was back in December that Israel decided to go with their fourth dose and they were the first country to administer what many people are saying is a so-called second booster. So a lot of countries are looking to Israel to see what can be learned from Israel. But Israel, I suppose, was slightly different in that they started to give the booster because they had given the first booster way ahead of any other country. And there was this notion that after three months, particularly with Omicron, after three months, the the vaccine that you got had started to wane uh, and that you may need to have it almost topped up again. And that was one of the reasons why the Israeli government decided to go with the fourth because they had given their third way ahead of any other country. So anyway, they're what they're looking at it, they're watching it and they're trying to come up with some kind of a common ground but it does look like it's leaning towards if they do decide to give a fourth dose it will be given to the most vulnerable people with severely weakened immune system and perhaps everybody over 65 will keep a close eye and nothing has been announced uh, yet. 0818103103 talking about the pandemic and the easing of all of the restrictions Mike in Bantry says Trisha Gardening kept me sane throughout the pandemic and there would be a lot of people would agree with you on that Mike so many people took up gardening people who'd never been involved in gardening before and a lot of people those of us who were lucky enough to have a garden found great solace in, in gardening throughout the particularly during the lockdowns the early days of the lockdowns so remember the early days of the lockdown the weather was fantastic as well two years ago we had that really nice spring into uh, summer and that really uh, helped Dermot wants to point out that the new holiday after St Patrick's Day on the 18th of March is not a bank holiday it's a public holiday okay Dermot thank you for that okay on recycling this spurred by one of our listeners who Pat went into the city twice has gone into the civic community site to have the bins full and the cardboard full and have to bring home all the recycling items with them. Uh, Kay says in some recycling centres they have bins for the different type of glass and they'll have recycling bin for plastic but they have nothing for the aluminium tins. Why is this? Ponders Kay in uh, Boherboy and uh, also she says they need to have, the council need to look at more recycling centres particularly in rural areas. Uh, We literally don't have enough of them. Irish Water have been on to say that due to essential maintenance there's no water in Love Lane in uh, Charleville or there won't be water in Love Lane in Charleville next Monday 24th of January 10am to 2pm so if you're in Love Lane in Charleville I always think that's such a gorgeous address isn't it Love? Where do you live? Love Lane. Love Lane in Charleville 10am to 2pm next Monday in Charleville water 
off. So have your kettles and your containers filled, please. Oh, and I have a response for Elaine, one of our listeners. Elaine got on to us yesterday and she wanted to highlight what she describes as a very dangerous junction. It's near Mallow Breaks on the road out of Goulds Hill in Mallow. She said when you're coming out of that junction from the quarter town direction, the old white line is still there. But when you keep driving up towards the junction, you've got to go over the white line in order to see what's coming or not uh, coming. And she says, as you're exiting the white uh, line, the old white line remains in place and she thinks it is particularly dangerous. And the uh, reason she contacted us was she said she, she's ended up meeting traffic almost out in the middle of the road because they're following the old white line uh, instead of, I don't know if, this, if there should be a new one there. Anyway, we got onto the council to say what's going on with that particular junction that Elaine pointed out to us. And they say that road resurfacing will take place on this road within the next number of days so that the issue will be sorted out okay so Elaine will be glad to hear that but in the meantime drive with care if you're on that junction near Mallow Breaks as you're coming out from uh, Quartertown in the Goulds Hill area of Mallow thank you Elaine for drawing our attention to that Marion says hi Patricia would you please announce that Middleton GAA bingo is at 6.30 and not 8pm as usual. And Marion says the usual very strict and safe rules will continue to apply. So okay, if you're going to Middleton GAA bingo, earlier time please, half six instead of eight o'clock. The C103 Cork Diary. With Cork County Council, where communities and businesses all across the county can get the support they need at corkcoco.ie. And some items on our community diary. A vigil for Ashley Murphy is going to be held in Carrig on Afrin in Glenville. That is tonight at eight o'clock. The closed collection to raise funds for the Marion Hall car park continues uh, this week in Ballinhasic. It will be on tomorrow, Saturday, half two to four. The used items of clothes, shoes, bags and beddings, please. No duvets, no pillows. And the COPE Foundation appealing for people to support their fundraising campaign by taking part in their Walk 300,000 Steps Challenge for the month of February. You can get further details on the COPE Foundation webpage or go to the COPE Foundation's Facebook page. Abandoned tractor, truck, vintage cars and jeeps run is taking place next Sunday with registration at 11am in the morning. Now the registration is at Bandon Mart and then the run will depart at 1pm. Proceeds are in aid of St Peter's Church Development Fund, the Bandon Area Special Children and the Cork Down Syndrome Centre. Entry is €20. Cork Today on C103. With Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale. Now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. For motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance, cmig.ie. Couple of calls in from listeners wondering, is the Kildarari drive-in bingo going ahead today or over the weekend? It's normally sent into our community diary, but there's nothing on our community diary this week. So anybody involved with the Kildarari drive-in bingo. Can you let us know if it's going ahead or not going ahead? Please, you can call John Paul 0818 103 103. Now, we spotted that earlier that the Southern Star have tweeted a photograph uh, that was sent in to them of a dead fox, but it's a dead fox that has been thrown over the sign as you enter. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you 
everything that you need for a salon quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive in June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive in June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. The village of Lep. Siobhan Cronin is the editor of the Southern Star and Siobhan joins me. Um, good morning to Siobhan. Good morning, Patricia. This, oh, good afternoon. Uh, good, it, is, it is afternoon, you're right. Uh, this is quite a shocking photograph. I mean, obviously the fox was, I'm assuming, knocked down and killed by a passing motorist. Well, we have no evidence, obviously, what happened, but you would assume that, all right, I can't imagine any other way it would have landed there, or unless it was shot and put there. But from um, the glance I kind of took at the photograph, I didn't want to look too closely. Uh, it it looks like it probably was a, a traffic accident. And somebody then obviously pulled in, picked up this dead fox, and they've thrown it over the sign, which is the LEP sign as you go into the village of, of LEP. And and I hope there isn't smallies. Turn down the radio if there's smallies. You can actually see the blood is, 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 is dripping down the sign. Yeah, it's on the front of the sign. Uh, all right. It, the head of the fox is kind of faced down the sign. So there's, there's blood coming down the front of the sign. So it is quite macabre. I mean... This is the home of the Scarecrow Festival, and if you saw even a, a puppet like that in, you know, October, you'd be a bit put off by it. But this is actually a, an animal that presumably was alive, you know, in the recent past. Stretchful, stretchful, and I don't know who who did it, but shame on whoever did it. And we know that those kind of accidents happen. You're driving along, and a fox runs out, and you know those accidents happen all the time. But mm-hmm. to whoever went to the bother, and I mean, I assume if you you knocked on a fox, you'd stop to check that it, that it was dead and that it wasn't just lying on the side of the road injured. But whoever went to the went to the trouble of getting out of their car, if we're assuming that's what happened, and then to throw it over the over the sign, shame on them. I mean, you'd have yeah. children going to going to school and everything. Thing and coming home from school will be will be witnessing that. I think some would have seen it this morning because I think I got that about nine thirty nine forty five, and I don't know how long it was there at that point. But you would imagine some school kids that's the actual N seventy one main, 
you know, cork, west cork, archery, yeah. basically. And also, it just dawned on me that that sign is like six to seven feet off the ground. Yeah. So it would have been quite a feat of physicality, let's say, to get it up there and position it like that. Yeah, was there more than one involved? I wonder, did, did did anybody see anything? And can anybody tell us has that and and what they're beautiful animals? And I, and I know I know that they they do damage to other wildlife and all of that, but they're just they're gorgeous looking animals. If uh, hopefully it has been removed at this uh, stage, shocking! It really is shocking at the start of a weekend. All right, uh, listen, Siobhan, thank you for that. Not at all. And uh, thanks uh, for joining us. That is uh, Siobhan Cronin, editor of the Southern Stars. They say, Siobhan, they tweeted out that photograph earlier. Please, hopefully it has been removed. If anybody's passed that sign since, to let us know if it has been uh, removed. 0818-103-103. OK, somebody from Kildarry Drive-In Bingo has been on. Thank you for that. On to John Paul to say that the drive-in bingo won't be returning until Friday the 4th of February. Okay, so they're taking a couple of weeks off. So Friday the 4th of February, drive-in bingo returns and it will be at the usual time of 8 o'clock. Okay, thank you. I don't know who went today. Uh, Thank you for whoever took the the time to contact us on uh, that. Okay, let me take a break and we will go to the movies with uh, Mark Malone. Court today on C103. With Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie. This is the Court Today replay on C103. Quick couple of texts on uh, Meatloaf. Mike in Bwing says, I went to see Meatloaf. He played the City Hall in Cork. It was February of 1985. Happy memories. And Peter says, Hi Patricia, I met Meatloaf in New York. We were coming back from a tour with Aaron's Ghost. He was looking for a Harley Davidson for the gigs that he was going to be doing in Connor. He signed autographs for me and when we arrived back into Shannon Airport, he carried my amp and gave us passes for Connor. Great memories of a man who was a legend. He was indeed. Thank you for that. Hi, Patricia. Does anybody, any of your listeners know who got sent home from The Apprentice on BBC last night? I I do. I'm an Apprentice fan. Don't know his name now, but it was the guy with the glasses who was the chemist the pharmacist he was the guy who went home last night and Mary says Patricia would you please mention that pay parking has resumed in the Mart car park in Fomoy just in case people get caught out on Friday is a busy shopping day if you're going shopping in Fomoy the Mart car park is back to pay parking Mark Malone our movie reviewer joins us good afternoon to you Mark Hi Patricia, how are you doing? I'm very well, thank you. And you're welcome now. You watch two movies, Boiling Point and Eternals. And we have a trailer from Boiling Point. Just tell him I'm so sorry. Um, I've just got so much going on. Thanks for coming. Let's make some chips, yeah? Chop some spuds. Yes, chefs. Enjoy drinks. Thank you. Service on table 20. I'm allergic to nuts. I pass that onto the kitchen. Thank Thank you. you. Well done, keep that up. Keep turning, keep turning, keep turning. Okay, look, we've been reviewed on table four. I need you to switch on, yeah? Look, I had no idea you were coming. It's, it's a bit strong, isn't it, bringing it along? This is your restaurant, this is my money. Oh God, I can't give you what I haven't got. One more thing. Just slice three steaks, it's not hard. Why do you always give in to her, my man? What do you mean give in to her? 
What's your problem? Can somebody help me? Okay, I, I know very little, even though I, I did see this movie advertised. It's, just, it's set in a restaurant, obviously. Uh, it is. Can I just point out, by the way, that Meatloaf, of course, was a terrific actor as well. I mentioned and, that earlier. Uh, I did mention oh, that did earlier. Yeah. yeah. Sorry, I missed that. But, you know, he was in the Rocky Horror Picture Show. He was brilliant in that and Fight Club and many others. So he was a very talented actor as well. Yeah, he was in Wayne's World as well. He was in Wayne's World yeah. as well. Yeah. I mean, the, the part he played in Fight Club was uh, was a part that a lot of actors would have stayed away from. I won't, I won't go into details in yeah. case people haven't seen it. Uh, but it's a role that many actors would have said, no, I'm not having that. I'm not having anything to do with that. But he did it and he was great in it too. And one of the first things he ever did was he was he was in Hair, the musical. On, on, in the movie? No, on stage. On stage. Oh, yeah. I've seen the movie. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but uh, the stage show was very controversial, of course. It and, was indeed. Uh, but... Yeah, so like you know, he was um, before he became a singer. You know, he was a very fine actor and was doing a lot of uh, kind of theatre work as well. But uh, yeah, he was a very talented man. He will be missed. Okay, talk to us about Boiling Point, set in a restaurant. Uh, it is indeed, yeah. Um, it's a terrible trailer that you've heard, and it's a shame because the trailer doesn't really quite kind of uh, portray just how good this movie is. This movie is done in one take. What? It's an hour and a half long, and it's done in one take. It's it's there are no cuts from start to finish. Everything you see on screen happens in real time. Um, it has been done before. I know there's a very famous Russian film of a couple of years ago, which I didn't see. So this is kind of my first experience of this. Uh, the war film a couple of years ago, 2017, kind of tried to do that, kind of pretended that it was all done in one take. They did do very long takes, but there were cuts. But there are no cuts here whatsoever from start to finish. It is one movie and one take, which is an extraordinary undertaking, I think. Is that very obvious? Not at all. I mean, if you didn't know, I think you wouldn't have realised. But knowing, I think, adds a kind of another dimension of interest and, and tension watching the film because you know it's all done in one take. And um, it was made in March 2020, just before lockdown. And they were getting ready. They were getting, um, you know, prepared for the film. And I thought they would have at least a week or two weeks of preparatory work and also of, um, of, of, of getting in about maybe 12 takes, they were hoping. In the end, they only managed to have time before everything was locked down. They only managed to get four takes. And I think of the four, I think this is the third take. And it's an extraordinary film. It really is. I mean, and... To do something like this, and there are like cast and crew of about 150. And remember, and they didn't build a set. Normally what you would do is you would build half a set. And so the crew then would basically kind of be on one side of the set. And then the actors would be on the other side. Um, this is actually set in a real kitchen. So therefore, it's one handheld camera throughout the whole film. And it's incredibly claustrophobic because, of course, it's, 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 it's following the actors uh, throughout this restaurant and the trials and the stresses that it takes to run a restaurant. So basically we meet, uh, the star of this film is, is Stephen Graham. Well, the star of the film is the cameraman, obviously, who had yeah, to I, do I this was, for an hour and a half. Because I was thinking about who, if you do a movie in one take, is is it's the camera operator has got the toughest role, isn't it, rather than the actor's? Um, it's only tough as physically, I think, but mentally, I think, the stress for the actors, because, of course, if you get it wrong, now we see blooper reels all the time. We see actors make mistakes and they go to the director and say, look, can I have another take? And you stop and you try it again, you stop and you try it again. If one of these actors get it wrong, 
They've ruined the whole thing. They've ruined the whole thing. And they've got to start from scratch again. And that must have been incredibly stressful for, for the actors. And I think, you know, when I see them, and a lot of them are, are actors who are not particularly well known, and I'm sure that they are, they are inexperienced. It must have been absolutely terrifying to know that just one mistake. And of course, the film has a rhythm as well. So it's not just simply about, you know, fluffing your lights. If you, if you, if you walk the wrong way, if you hit your knee off a table, if you just get something like that, something trivial like that wrong, it ruins the whole pace and rhythm of the film. And, and it would get it wrong and they'd have to do it again, which it must have been very, very stressful. And it's, it, it, it's a credit to the actors who are so extraordinary in this film. There's uh, an actress called Hannah Waters in this film where she has to cry basically on demand, which is very difficult. And I mean, if you're making a movie and you have an actor doing that, you would stop the filming. You would make sure to give them the time to get into, to be able to get that kind of emotional response for them. Here, she's got to try and cry on on cue and she does it and it's extraordinary and all of the actors are extraordinary and it, it basically is is about the stresses and strains of 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 running a restaurant and how difficult it is so the camera is constantly uh, you know showing us um the method of 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 trying to produce this menu uh, they know for example coming in is a very very famous chef so that he's then trying to impress him he is bringing a, a very well-known restaurant critic which also ups the the, the tension levels um, there are very difficult customers in the, the restaurant for example one customer doesn't want his lamb pink he wants it well done and they have to try and persuade him and tell him look this is the way lamb is supposed to be which also raises the tension levels as well um, so just watching it it's an extraordinary experience it, it really is and at no time is it boring by the way and no time is it a gimmick either it's a proper film and it's properly delivered and it's brilliantly delivered. And I thought it was absolutely fabulous. And do you know why they would decide to do that? Do it in one take? I know he made a short. Yeah, the director made a short a couple of years ago. And he kind of, but that was only about 20 minutes. And he thought, you know, it could be kind of interesting to see if we could do this. Um, and and they pulled it off. It's not a gimmick. It's a proper movie, as I say. And it's fascinating from start to finish because after a while, you stop looking for mistakes. But I didn't see any. I didn't see anybody fluff their lines. And remember, like there was, there's one scene where he has to address his um, kitchen staff. If somebody laughs out of order, they could ruin the take by maybe laughing over his line, you know, the main star's line. And so, as I say, to have the talent of these, this, 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 this extraordinary, extraordinary crew of people. Um, you know, to be able to produce magic basically on screen like this, whilst being under huge amounts of stress, is quite extraordinary. Well I mean, it is an extraordinary film. And judging by the accents, it's a, it's a it's a UK movie. It's made in England, is it? It's a it's a small movie. Yeah, yeah. Uh, St- Stephen Graham, I suppose, is uh, is uh, the the best known of all of the actors. So a lot of the actors are not hugely experienced, and it's a credit to them and the director to be able to get uh, uh, fabulous performances out of them. And it does. And uh, and I would recommend anybody to see this. Okay. It really is fabulous. I, I, I'm it also is a, it's also a good kind of a, kind of a, a an in towards the stresses and strains of restaurants. Now, next time I go to a restaurant, and if my starter <laughs> is a couple of minutes late, I'm not complaining. <laughs> and I think anyone who's ever uh, who works in a restaurant or has ever worked in a restaurant will very much identify with the how it can be boiling point and what a pressure cooker uh, restaurants and the kitchen can be. Okay, mark that out of 10? No, it's getting a 10. 10 out of 10. Okay, it's boiling point. Is, is that a streaming or is that in the cinema? 
Uh, it's streaming, yes. It's not, I think it was about 15 which okay. isn't too bad, I suppose. Well but I, so, look, I, you know, I, I, it was one of those occasions where you spend that kind of money and you go, you know, I'd, I'd do it again. That was worth it. Okay, now your second movie that you watch for us is Eternals. Yeah, which, uh, you know, is a huge budget, you know, American film, um, which is nowhere near as good as Boiling Point. Uh, you know, they spend 200 million making this. You know, I mean, I sit here and I watch kind of, you know, these action-packed, you know, Hollywood movies. And I'm bored to tears by them. I certainly wasn't bored by Boiling Point. Um, this is uh, Marvel. And um, it's this happened um, within the Marvel Universe just after the snap. Now, anybody who hasn't watched any Marvel movies, will not, that will mean nothing to them. Um, but um, here, they couldn't get involved in what the Avengers were up to um, in their battle against Thanos because they were told they couldn't do that because apparently the Eternals have been on Earth for hundreds and thousands of years and they are in constant battle against what are called uh, mankind's enemy. They're called the Deviants and they're not allowed to get involved in kind of uh, the kind of the human kind of condition. They can't get involved with, with any of that. They can only uh, emerge uh, when the deviants uh, appear. Now, the deviants haven't been on Earth for about 500 years. They make their appearance. And so, therefore, then the, um, the the Eternals have got to get back together again. Now, they've been living lives, human lives, basically, on Earth for, for a very, very long time. For example, uh, one of them is a big kind of Bollywood film star. And, of course, he doesn't age. So there's the, the kind of running joke where, basically, throughout his career as this actor, he has played his great-great-great-great-grandfather and his great-great-grandfather and so on. And... Uh, and, and the others too, like Gemma Chan is uh, is a teacher in London, and then they're called together to kind of to to, to fight against uh, these uh, deviants. Um, the thing about this film is that when I saw the trailer, I wasn't really quite sure if I was going to like it or not because it didn't really look very good. Most of the the opening action sequences is in the trailer, but it's actually better uh, on screen. And my kind of take after watching this was that when I was asked, you know, my, my daughter asked me because she had seen it in the cinema some time ago, and she said, "What did you think?" And I said. You know, the action sequences were but in between, it was all really rather dull. And and that that's my problem with it. The action sequences are great and they're very, very well directed. And the use of humor doesn't really quite work. And it's kind of in a, a bit inappropriate at times. The one thing where it does work, unlike something like the X-Men, which has multiple characters, you don't get to know the, the, the X-Men. You don't really know who they are or what kind of powers they have. Very early on, the writing is clever enough to be able to introduce us to all of the, um, uh, of all of the characters here. And so you do get to like them. They all have their own individual kind of powers and personalities. And um, the other interesting thing is that one of them is Angelina Jolie, and they all have equal um, kind of screen time, whereas she is by far the biggest star mm-hmm. of the whole film. But obviously... She just decided, look, I will be just one of them. Uh, you know, she didn't come in with her agent and go, look, you've got to make my, my, my part a little bit bigger and better. And, you know, because I'm the biggest star here. I mean, and she obviously put her ego in check for that. And for that, she, I think, must be uh, given credit. Okay. I think one of the things that I really like was the sound. I mean, sound design is one of those parts of, uh, of cinema which tends to be kind of undermined. I thought the sound was extraordinary. So if you were to say to me, look, did you like Mark? Yes, I liked the action sequences. I thought they were very, very well done. But in between... It's all rather dull and boring, unfortunately, and that's a shame. Okay. All right, mark it out of 10. I'll give it six. Six out of 10. Okay, that is yeah. uh, Eternals. And I don't know if it was last week, the week before, we, you uh, you reviewed that Disney movie um, Encanto that I had seen over Christmas and loved. 
Yeah. Yeah. I, I heard earlier today, and I don't know if this is going to come to pass or not, that one of the songs from Encanto, it's the one that says, yeah, the one uh, we don't talk about Bruno, they reckoned that that is going to become more popular than, than Let It Go from Frozen. Um, okay. Uh, <laughs> it was the best song and the most recognisable song of what, you, you know, I thought was a disappointing soundtrack. Yeah. Um, it, was, it, it was the best song and uh, I liked that. Unfortunately, I thought the others were a bit kind of average and a bit kind of disappointing, but um, I'm not sure it'll do that. I don't, I'm not, I, you know, those the, the, the songs from Frozen are, are massive, you know what I mean? And um, and so whether or not it will become as popular. Well, I, I, well, I so heard sure. that but prediction. I heard that prediction this morning. We shall keep a close eye on it. Listen, as always, thank you, Mark. Uh, we'll talk again You're next right. week. Thanks for joining us. That is uh, Mark Malone, our uh, movie reviewer. Let me take a quick look at... Uh, a couple of texts I just want to give a quick mention uh, to uh, the I, I mentioned the Middleton GAA bingo is on at half six uh, my apologies I should have read the text properly it is on at half six and out for eight o'clock my apologies Marion I misread your text so Middleton GAA bingo tonight half it starts at half six out for eight o'clock with the usual very strict and safe rules and guidelines in uh, place and the PRO John Ahern of Aragland GAA has been on to remind people that bingo with an outdoor option will take place in Aragland Community Hall. That's happening next Sunday, half past two. And they want to thank everyone who has supported the bingo during COVID. Hopefully there are better and brighter days ahead. So say all of us. Thank you. That's uh, John Ahern, PRO, Aragon GAA. That's where I leave you for today. Thanks to John Paul, who produced Nick Richards with you for the afternoon. Talk to you today on C103. With Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. Want great advice? You know who to talk to. CMIG.ie. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.